There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your settings. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone. Things are only impossible until they're not. Welcome to the Captain's Chair, a podcast on all shows in the Star Trek universe on the Fangirl Zone. I am Red Shirt Dave, and joining me on this mission into the unknown is... I'm Chief Engineer Steve, and unfortunately, Sean is under the weather today. Got her in Feeling a med- better soon. Yeah, we got her in a med pod. Yes. <laughs> I hope those batteries don't run out. Yeah, that would be tragic. <laughs> Maybe we should have plugged it in the wall. Darn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a note, Steve, that there was some interview news. Is there interview news? Well, I think you have interview news for us oh that uh we're going to have a guest on the show in the coming weeks yes oh gosh i don't know i could divulge that until it it actually happens, it happens. Or, okay yeah right. i know let's just say super nerdy super awesome yes and you can't get any higher in the corporate star trek ladder than this guy enough okay. said yeah enough said really looking forward to that interview that's for sure yep well, today we'll be discussing episode two of season three of Picard. What did you think about this episode, Dave? Oh, I loved it. I thought it was great fun. It, it ends in the cliffhanger, so awesome there. Yes. <laughs> I saw that and headed into my own cloudy nebula, because yeah. who doesn't? <laughs> I know we're not writing this, but if we did, I would give it another four out of five, this time hotels in space. Yes. <laughs> Which, by the way, has no corners. Right. What do you think, Steve? Oh, yeah, I love this episode. This was an amazing episode. It was nice to see Shaw come back down a little bit off his high horse. Yeah. Holding his arm around his back and really twisting it to get him to do it, but he finally (laughs) did. Well, he's the only one that stays his own course. Everyone else like, what are we doing? Yeah. Haven't you watched the show? What's wrong with you, dude? Yep. And it only made sense who... uh, Rafi's handler was, though, of course, I'd heard a couple of other uh, theories that maybe it was Dr. Bashir or somebody oh, wow. else. Oh, I think I said uh, Denise Crosby. Right. Here from Section 31, and I was hoping Philippa Giorgio, even though it's a little timey-wimey for her. Yes. And when they mentioned uh, Section 31 somewhere in the middle of the episode, I'm like, yes, yes, it's going to happen. Nope. Right. <laughs> That's okay. Well, it, it makes sense. He used the word warrior. Yes, he did. Call Raffi a warrior. Yep. <laughs> I think that's his middle name. Yes. <laughs> Warrior Warp, if he has a middle name. All right. Episode two, Disengage. Aided by Seven of Nine and the crew of the USS Titan, Card makes a shocking discovery that will alter his life forever and puts him on a collision course with the most cunning enemy he's ever encountered. Meanwhile, Raffi races to track a catastrophic weapon and collides with the familiar Ally. Episode was written by Terry Metalis, Kiva Goldsman, and Michael Shabong, and directed once again by Doug Arianoski. 
Yeah, can't get higher than that. No. <laughs> <laughs> so two weeks ago, the Mariposa medical vessel SS Helios seven seven no twelve. Yeah. <laughs> How many are there out there? Drops out of warp near Sonia Prime. Jack Crusher opens the channel to confirm orbital entry, but gets only static. Oh wow, that reminds me of uh, Wrath of Khan. Eat static. Yes. Let them eat static. Yep. A pair of Fenris Ranger ships appear. One of the Rangers states that Elios has violated their airspace while en route to a quarantine. Oh, wow. This really bummed me out, Steve. I always thought the Fenris Rangers were the good guys. Right. Not, not these. Not, no, not drivable thugs. I wonder if they lost their heart and soul once uh, Seven left. Yeah, could be. They demand they provide Federation access codes or submit to a search. Jack insists Elios has moral authority. That was a good one. It doesn't come with paperwork. He underscores there are thousands below who are sick with a galarian fever or possibly an allusion to Star Trek Lower Decks. Second contact. Oh, good one. Yes, Jack underscores the medical nature of the vessel and its work. The ranger points out the medical work is still subject to protocol. Damn them. Then he opens the crate. That can, once on board, he opens the crate of Romney and Nail, and I thought, so? Because he gives him a look. He gives Jack a look at him like, who doesn't have Romney and Nail on their ship? Right. Looks <laughs> not the cops yet, and I guess these guys aren't exactly cops anymore. So Jack claims it's for medical purposes, but not and offers to share. I'm like, yeah, why not? After asked if he's being bribed, Jack offers the ranger weapons instead of liquor. That's always the trump card. Jack says the outbreak was engineered by warlords who want the zone clear to refugees. Now that's evil. Yes, it is. He's going to sell weapons on both sides, and he's willing to cut the rangers in for 35%. The warlords can fight each other, and they'll still cure the pandemic. The rangers orders his men to take the profit. Create implicitly accepting the deal. Before leaving the Elias, the ranger sends a transmission, reach out to the marked woman. We found him. Wow. You guys really Uh-oh. have some great hunted traitors now? Yeah. It's like so. basically space pirates, right? Yep. I think you can shock on them, space pirates. Yep. What a shame. Well, we jump back to the present day in the writing system. The Shrike approaches the Elios. Jack, Picard, and Riker take in the Shrike. Picard asks who is pursuing him, and Jack pleads ignorant. After the Rangers came Klingons, then three guys in Starfleet uniforms. They've been running for months. Who are the three guys? Exactly. (laughs) I thought we should know that somehow. Yeah. Is that some type of tease, or that's going to go unanswered, who these three guys are? Three wise men? I think we will get an answer. Yeah. Okay. Riker recalls Crusher instructing them to trust no one. Guards suggest they negotiate. Jack requests the computer perform a threat assessment. Computer predicts a 100% chance of destruction. (laughs) Always positive. Yes. Jack (laughs) suggests that they call the larger vessel that accompanied the shuttlecraft, the Savic. Named for the captain of the first Titan. Cool. On board the Titan A, Ensign LaForge informs Captain Shaw that she's picking up a faint third signal inside the nebula. It's definitely a ship. It has serious firepower and it's outside of Federation space, which is just fine with Shaw. First Officer Seven is prepared for a rescue mission, but Shaw blocks the effort. Steve, uh- I seem to remember that starships can drop a buoy. Am I making this up in my head? A buoy, and they could have sent it back into Infederate, well, they were in Federation space, but send it floating out there to call Starfleet anyway, you know, with a recorded message on it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. He isn't willing to risk the crew for Riker and Picard. 
He orders LaForge to hold position and dismisses Seven. The Shrike is circling the Ilios. Jack urges them to evacuate, which means getting the med pod carrying Beverly to the shuttle. After Jack's left, Riker turns to Picard. Beverly's son? <laughs> Just something familiar about him. What could it be? Yes, the Shrike fires on the Savic, destroying it. Quartet is stranded aboard the Ilios. Aboard the La Serena on Metallus Prime, Rafi watches a news report about the destruction of the Starfleet Recruitment Center. According to the news, a Romulan dissident named Lurok Toluco is behind the attack. Rafi opens an encrypted comm channel to her Starfleet intelligence handler. She expresses her anguish at the 117 people who died in the attack. Through text, her handler replies, Do not seek blame. Do not seek anger. Doesn't sound like the one, <laughs> the one we know, but Rafi states she wants to keep digging. However, Starfleet Command has terminated the investigation. Rafi doesn't believe Toluco is a credible suspect. And even if he is, he didn't operate alone. I wonder why they would terminate the investigation unless the investigation yeah. was going on without Starfleet Command's knowledge. Yes. But then, even then, why were they terminated? Because after suffering that terrorist incident. Sounds like uh, Section 31 has more to do with this than I originally thought, at least. Yeah, which I like. Yes, the case is based on a redacted statement from a low-level crime lord named Sneed. However, Sneed is connected to heavy hitters like Brunt and Cork of Bregnar, the outrageous Thadium Okana, and even Morn of Luria. Sneed <laughs> claims he brokered the deal. An anonymous seller sold the weapon to Toluco. Her handler repeats that Starfleet Command has terminated the investigation. She is ordered to disengage, but Raffi insists Sneed is lying. She repeats 117 people are dead. Her handler repro- replies that it'll be 118 should she continue. Wow. wow. Buffy once again requests a face-to-face with her handler, and it's denied. Buffy says someone needs to speak for the dead, and she declares her intention to find Sneed. Somewhere an unknown handler is rolling his or her eyes. Yes. So back in the ready room, Seven enters the ready room on the Titan A. Shaw asks if it will be necessary to confine her to quarters. Seven expresses her concern that Picard and Reich may die. She cites weapons activity inside the nebula. Shaw asks if Seven assisted in taking his shuttle. Seven asks if he wants to be remembered as the hero who saved heroes or the captain who let two legends die. And she leaves. Well, hard to argue with that one. Yes. He's definitely <laughs> put in his place. Inside the nebula, the Shrike continues to menace the Elios. Jack, Riker, and Picard discuss their options. Jack floats the idea of offering their unknown pursuer two older men. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Picard has been setting up transport inhibitors right on cue. This prevents Jack from being beamed away. See, that is a Boy Scout, always prepared. Yes. It turns out they are trying to take Jack alive. Good deduction. You're not sure Sherlock Holmes there, Steve? Yes. <laughs> Several soldiers beam in outside the inhibitor zone. Riker dispatches them with a sci-fi grenade. I have to get one of those. Yes. The beaming non-vibral the Shrike activates and tractor beam up. A power relay failure leaves Beverly's med pod life support at 
There's a hull breach on deck two. Riker suggests he could improvise a beam repulsor, but Jack says they don't have that kind of capability. The Helios has been limping for weeks. Total power failure is imminent. They have no hope for survival. I've got movement on the sensors, then declares Riker. What the hell is that? Really, Riker? Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was so awesome. The Titan A warps and inserts itself between Helios and, and the strike. So I wrote my notes. So cool. Yes, that was amazing. I like how they just appear out of nowhere. Slice yeah, just rip that <laughs> tractor beam. You say, yeah. no, you aren't taking ours. And stop on a, a dime, too, of course. Yeah. The tractor beam is broken. Vintage Titan, baby. Shaw calls for a red alert. He instructs them to bring Riker and Picard back aboard. But there are four life signs, Shaw says, to bring them all aboard. He comments, we're basically a hotel now. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can do that like him. Like, uh, no, his dry <laughs> humor is amazing. Yes. Oh, man, that's his calling card. The Shrike prepares to fly on the Helios. The Titan can't lock onto the quartet on the Helios Picard's transport inhibitors. Well, he's so cool and unmarked before, and then he forgot he, he hooked them up. Yeah. Good thing he's a good shot because he uses his favor to destroy them. Jack, Riker, Picard are beamed aboard the Titan and Beverly goes straight to sick bay. On Metallus Prime, rapidly reunites with Jay, the father of her son. That guy was on uh, another episode of Picard earlier. I think season one. I'll have to look that up. She, the actor that is. She asks right. how she asks how their son is in Jay Sight's event from Picard season one. Right, Jeff. Rappy tells Jay, who runs a bar, he needs to arrange a meeting with Sneed the broker. Jay implies that Rappy is moving back towards addiction. Very supportive. However, Rappy insists he's the only one who can do anything about the injustice that Starfleet has ignored. Jay says he will connect her. With her son or with Sneed, Rappy has to choose. She chooses Sneed. And you have to give the guy credit. He sure knows her like the back of his hand because this is exactly what caused her to go in yeah. viral last time is being so intent on doing something that it just drives her bonkers. Yeah, but like Seven, as Picard said, was put into an, an impossible choice. Uh, what right. What is she supposed to do? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Besides, she knows her son is out there and uh, thinks she's stalking him. Yeah. In the writing system, Shaw states he wants to know who they've engaged. Riker, Picard, and Jack arrive on the bridge. They're greeted by a hail from Captain Baddock, played amazingly by Amanda Plummer. She greets Shaw by name and reveals she has access to his Starfleet psychological profile. You know what I thought when I heard that? Yeah. It was a spy. How would yes. she get that? Yeah. Another spy again? Uh-oh. Yeah. Vatic demands Jack be turned over, claiming she seeks the bounty on his head. Shaw says Starfleet doesn't negotiate with bounty hunters. Vatic says they aren't understanding the situation. She lowers her shields so they can scan her craft. The scans identify plenty of weapons, including an unknown technology. Yeah, that was a little overkill. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Vatic lights and smokes a cigar. Vatic gives them one hour and tells them to enjoy a display of her intentions in the meantime. The Shrike activates its tractor beam and throws the Helios at the Titan. That was awesome. I don't think we've ever seen anything like that. No. Breaks through the shield and Scrapnel tears the hull. Ensign LaForge uses lessons from her father to explain how this was possible. Thanks for piping up. Yes, the Titan can't escape and can't call for help. They're cornered in space. Seven says there have been rumors of 
the ship among the Fenris Rangers. Shaw asked what they have on Jack. Yeah, that's a good point. What do you, what is this guy? Why is he yeah, so important? We still don't know. Guy? Yeah. So in the ready room, uh, Picard and Riker demand to know who Jack might be. But Shaw and several Titan crew members enter. Shaw states that Jack is indeed an intergalactic criminal and orders him to be taken to the brig. Seven attempts to intervene by saying that the Elios wasn't a bounty hunter's ship. Shaw dresses her down for choosing her loyalty to two over her loyalty to 500. He needs the crew of the ship, of course. He relieves her of duty for insubordination. Picard says Seven was in an impossible situation. Hey, see that? Yep. She says everyone is getting what they deserve. He is considering surrendering Jack to Braddock and then turn the other two over to a tribunal. Wow, he is a legend killer, isn't he? Yes. Riker says he thought Starfleet didn't give in to hostile demands, but Shaw says protocol dictates that the safety of the crew and the ship take priority outside Federation space. Oh, nice gotcha moment, Shaw. Shaw gives Picard half an hour to talk it out with Jack. Picard says he can't surrender Beverly's son, but Riker says that's not what it's about. He asks Picard if he really doesn't see what he does. Yes. Like the rest of the quadrant. Yeah. <laughs> Including us. In the brig, Picard confronts Jack about his list of crimes. Jack claims he's a freedom fighter at best, or at worst, a thief. Jack says currency is currency and medicine isn't free. He claims his detractors are low-level gangsters or fathers of unhappy daughters. Picard says Beverly wouldn't allow this. Jack claims Beverly taught him everything he knows. Well, that's interesting. Yes. Picard uh, asks who Jack's father is, and Jack uh, says he never had one. Boy, he was a little angry then. Yes, he was. Yeah. He says he's willing to surrender to Vatic if it saves Beverly. Of course. Well, he must have learned that from her, too. Yeah. On Metallus Prime, Rafi arrives at her ex's bar. Bouncer tells her they aren't open to strangers. However, Sneed's name opens the door. You know what, Steve? Jay, the owner of the bar, I guess, allows yeah. this guy to operate in the back. Yeah. Wow. And he's pointing fingers at Raffi, and he lets this go on in the in the back there. Yeah. Raffi is bustled into Sneed's den. He opens by saying he likes antique human things because of their value, of course. Sneed explains he is a broker. He says he knows who Jay knows, but he doesn't know her. How the hell? Yeah, really. He may he implies she may be Jay's ex who joined Starfleet. Rafi claims she left Starfleet because there was no profit in it. He tells Sneed she freelances now. Sneed asks what she wants. Rafi says she wants to know about Toluco and claims she works for him. Sneed says she smells like Starfleet Federation Section 31. I wrote in my notes, yes! Yeah. Exclamation point. He suggests taking some of the eye drugs will convince him she isn't Starfleet. She does so. Damn it. I named it Splinter because it feels like you're being ripped apart and pulled back together <laughs> again and again and again, says Sneed. I guess Splinter was a project once. Yes. He demands to know who Rafi works for. She claims Toluco again, and he laughs. He reveals he has Toluco's head in his position. Rafi attacks Sneed. Before the guards can react, they are attacked by an unseen assailant. <laughs> the music. Rafi, yeah, Rafi collapses. The assailant eventually decapitates Sneed, picks up Rafi, and is revealed to be Warp. The awesome hero moment. Yes, very awesome hero I don't know why he would decapitate him, though. Not that he didn't deserve it, didn't however. Didn't deserve it, yeah. yeah. Can't question him much after that. No, that's why he did it, probably, so Rafi wouldn't 
Till tried a questioning. On the Titan, Picard and Riker approach Shaw on the bridge. Shaw restates that he won't sell out the lives of his crew. Riker underscores Jack's personhood regardless of his status as a criminal. Shaw asks how they even know if he is Beverly's child. And he gives him 15 minutes. In the brig, Jack uses a device to disable the brig force field. Man, has he got some toys. Yeah, what is he, 007? Yes. How did he get that past any security, whether it's visual or computer generated? Exactly. So that's my watch. He knocks out the guard and escapes. In medical, the doctor explains that Beverly is sedated but healing. Riker injects her with a hypo spray over the doctor's protestation. On the bridge, Shaw and Picard continue to argue over the course of action. Picard urges Shaw to attempt to bring Vatic down just by standing up. That's when Vatic opens a channel. She acknowledges that they have the remainder of the hour. Then she uses a description of the namesake of her vessel, the Shrike, to intimidate the crew of the Titan. Shaw is convinced to turn Jack over, but then they learn he's escaped the brig. Seven locates him in the transporter bay. He's attempting to surrender himself. Picard interprets this as protecting his mother. Shaw says they should let him do so, and he unlocks the transporter. Come on, Shaw. Yeah. Anyway, Riker arrives on the bridge with Beverly. She exchanges a look with Picard. Oh, boy, did she. He uses his rank to lock down the transporters and protect Jack. Shaw asks why he's willing to get them all killed. Picard acknowledges that Jack is his son. Big boom moment, even though we all yes. saw coming. <laughs> Just a look. One yeah. Two of them was, oh boy. Even though yeah, dead giveaway. It, when it finally uh, hits Picard, he like closes his eyes tightly. There, he goes, "Yep, I get it." Yep. Ugh. God damn it! Says Shaw. Shaw acquiesces to Picard, opening a channel. Vatic asks for their decision. Picard states, "Engage." The Titan fires on the Shrike, then flees. Vatic cackles as she sure did. Orders the Shrike to pursue, and they were off into the clouds together, which is pretty damn great. Yes. So, seen by that bat signal shaped like a giant bunny in the sky. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think we're ready for some <laughs> Easter eggs. Absolutely. Let's start with the uh, Shuttlecraft Savick that pays tribute to a fan favorite. In the opening episode of Season 3, Admiral Picard and Captain Riker commandeer one of the USS Titan Shuttlecraft on an unauthorized rescue mission to Dr. Beverly, the S. Howell. In the following chapter, the shuttle is destroyed. As the wreckage flies toward the camera, we get a clear look at the shuttle's name, the Savick. The vessel's namesake is a junior officer introduced in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, which is a movie that keeps on giving and giving. She was portrayed by Kirstie Alley in her first major film role. Lieutenant Savick was Spock's protege and seemed positioned to take his place as a regular member of the Enterprise crew after Spock's death at the end of that film. However, when Spock actor Leonard Nimoy decided not to leave the franchise, Savick was gradually given smaller roles and a different actor, Robin Curtis, in the first two films before disappearing altogether. Unfortunately, because uh, Christy Alley, that damn awesome in that role. Yes, she was. Yeah. She did the classic uh, eyebrow race, too. Yes. Still a she recent official. Spock, Spock, which was yeah, I know. impossible. They could have been related. <laughs> yeah. That is until a official Star Trek franchise Instagram post revealed that Savick eventually rose to the rank of captain and took command of the USS Titan in the late 23rd century, making the shuttlecraft's name a tribute to her legacy. In our universe, the original actress to play Savick, Kirstie Alley, passed away from colon cancer in December 2022, and the shuttle may have been christened in her memory. Good touch. Yep. 
So anytime you see a wall of text on display in Star Trek, you're bound to find a few Easter eggs. Disengage features quite a few in the criminal record of the Ferengi gangster Sneed. Sneed's list of known associates includes some of the familiar names from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Quark is a Ferengar, is, of course, the series' nefarious bartender, though by this point in the Star Trek timeline, he's also the owner of a franchise of bars and gambling establishments bearing his name. As, as seen in Star Trek Lower Decks and in the previous season of Picard, good to know he's doing well. Yes. Brunt is Quark's nemesis from the Ferengi Commerce Authority, played by Star Trek's man of a thousand faces, Jeffrey Combs. Wish I got a job like that. Yeah. Morn of Luria is Quark's most steady customer, appeared in 93 episodes of Deep Space Nine and never spoke a word. I could do that. Yeah. And the final name on Sneed's list is a known associate is Thadian Okana. I thought it was a picture for the uh, for the California Angels. No, L.A. Yeah. Yeah. I think. <laughs> a smuggler and a playboy who first appeared in an infamously campy episode of Star Trek The Next Generation called The Outrageous Okona. He has since appeared in the animated form on both Lower Decks and Star Trek Prodigy. We can now add a reference in Picard to this surprisingly illustrious resume. As for Sneed himself, he's portrayed by Aaron Stanford. What? Who played <laughs> Jarvis Carville? On 12 Monk. Oh, wait, no. James Cole. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Picard showrunner Terry Metalis' previous series, 12 Monkeys. Oh, man. I wish I was close to friends with that guy. Oh, I gotta, tell me, me about it. Give me a jobs. I'll be the new groundskeeper back at Federation headquarters. I can, I can yeah. a few branches here and there. Yeah. The name's James Cole also appears on Jack Crush's list of aliases in this episode. Pretty awesome. Yes, it was. Yeah. While investigating the destruction of Starfleet Recruitment Center, Commander Rafi Musaker looks into the criminal record of the Roman outlaw Lurak Tuluko, who the Starfleet has named as the perpetrator. Cover up. <laughs> Cover up. <laughs> Rafi disagrees, blaming him to be too small time for such a serious crime over Rafi's shoulder. We'll get a quick look at Tuluko's history, which references two worlds that have never been seen in canon, but nevertheless have long histories in Star Trek franchise. The planets Vendor and Rator. Is it Rator or Rator 3, Steve? I kind of like Rat Rator. Good. Yep. Both, I'd like, that's the way I wanted. Both first mentioned in a 1973 episode of Star Trek, the animated series entitled The Survivor. The shape-shifting Vendorians induced in that episode wouldn't make another appearance until Lower Decks brought them back for a gag in 2020, but Rator 3 has taken on a more important role in Star Trek history, being a massively multiplayer role-playing game Star Trek Online. In the game's backstory expanded for the tie-in novel Star Trek Online, The Needs of the Many, Rator 3 briefly becomes the seat of the Romulan Empire after the destruction of Romulus. Though Star Trek Online is not considered canon, this Easter egg would seem to verify Rator 3's location and its prominence within the shattered Romulan Empire. So, who's ready for some amazing Amanda Plummer juiciness? Yes. <laughs> Season 3 of Star Trek Picard pays homage to the style and tone of the original six Star Trek feature film, so it's only appropriate that the season's antagonists be cut from the same cloth as those classic movie villains. Casting of Amanda Plummer as the dastardly Captain Vodic is surely no accident. Her late father, Christopher Plummer, portrayed the Klingon General Chang in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. You know, Steve, I wish the Shrike was really called the Honey Bunny. <laughs> He's so hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it's not as imposing as Shrike. Right. What's the name of your ship? It's the Honey Bunny. It's the what? 
their characters have no direct uh, relation, but there are definitely some stylistic connections beyond the actor's family ties. Both antagonists plainly relish in their villainy, indulging in flowery speeches and theatrical intimidation. Yeah, cry havoc and late flip the dogs of war. Yep. The fact that both Chang and Vadak twirl around their chairs in the big captain's chairs and order the crews to open fire with casual flicks of the war of the wrist might be a coincidence or it might be a knowing tribute from a daughter to the father in whose footsteps she treads. Why not? Yep. However, it's almost certainly deliberate that during Vodic's menacing view screen conversation in Disengage, the sound designers for Picard have brought back the same ominous communications klaxon used to punctuate General Chang's hails in Star Trek VI. Well, they have a massive amount of stuff to work with. It's exactly the sort of detail that someone would only notice if they'd watched The Undiscovered Country a dozen times or so, which, of course, we have, and we appreciate it. Uh, little production flourishes like this, combined with Plummer's performance, make Vodic a delightful throwback to the franchise's illustrious past. No doubt about that. Yeah. At first, I thought he said Vodic. I'm like, Vod? Is it like uh, Dracula? Like, yeah. Oh, Vodic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, close enough, though. It's close. Well, we do have some feedback from our good friend Fred from the Netherlands. So let's hear what he thought about Card Episode 2. Hello, Steve, Dave, and Sean. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 2. Wow, that was unexpected. Picard having a son? Is it really true? Well, Beverly didn't say it. It was non-verbal communication. At least, Jean-Luc thinks it's possible. Although, I did say something about it in the last podcast, but I assumed that everybody thought about it, but it was a red herring, and now it proves it isn't. I thought that the turn of Captain Shaw was quite surprising after it was revealed that Jack is Picard's son, almost out of character. Or was it Seven's speech about saving legends and becoming a hero? My idea of last podcast about Beverly experimenting with Jack Crusher's DNA and creating her own son with that was, of course, not right and down the drain. Was a bit unlikely anyhow, but okay. Ravi's whole story is still a little bit fuzzy to me. Of course, great to see Worf at the end, but I really wonder if he knows Ravi from something or that they really meet there for the first time. I would give the episode a little bit less than the previous one, B plus, A minus, or something like that. But still, very good episode. Very intriguing how this will go further. Okay, short and sweet this time. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Yeah, Fred, sorry your uh, thought that maybe Beverly manipulated the DNA didn't pan out. But yeah, I think we've uh, pretty much bought into the fact that. Jack is Picard's son. Yeah, everything seems to point towards that. I can't see Beverly manipulating anything anyway. No, I mean, she could. Uh, We've seen her do it before, but yeah, not in this case. Yeah. But I see the same thing as you did, like going down that rabbit hole. Right. To answer Fred's question about uh, what turned Shaw, I I, I do think it was Seven's speech. Yes. Really? You think so? I just figured he's like, fine, I'll do what I got to do. I don't think he was going to do it unless she said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was going to get Jack off the ship. That was his only option to save the ship, as far as he was concerned, was to get Jack off of it. Yeah. 
Nothing like outdoing a legend, though, becoming your own legend. So right. I, gra- I probably selfishly grabbed that opportunity myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Shaw's a piece of work. There's no doubt about that, Fred. Well, as always, we appreciate your feedback and looking forward to hearing from you again. Thank you, Fred. Thanks, Fred. Well, we'd love to hear your thoughts on each and every episode this season. Our deadline for feedback is 10 p.m. Eastern every Friday during the season. You can send your feedback via email or audio to contact us at fangirlzone.com. Go to www.fangirlzone.com and click on the contact link where you will find several ways to contact us via email or through social media. In the Twitter sphere, I'm at Sawyer Steve. Dave is at the real underscore ID underscore Dave. Sean is at Jetta 528 or the podcast is at FGZ podcast. Please review and rate us on iTunes. Good ratings and reviews help other fans of the show find us as there are a lot of Star Trek Picard podcasts out there. So they're not way out there like us. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Tell your friends and I hope you like our podcast and don't forget to check out the other great Fangirl Zone podcast. Third episode is on March 2nd and is titled 17 Second. So until then, remember, this is Chief Engineer Steve. There's just something familiar about him. This is Redshirt Dave. I just wanted to tell you that my power levels always go to critical every time I see Jerry Ryan. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I would definitely confine her to her quarters. (laughs) You mean your quarters? Yeah. (laughs) 